welcome. You're listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. We're a team of five badass women who will be your sommeliers to the marketing world. We work and whiteboard together at our nine to five every day in B2B marketing. We're a small, scrappy team that's picked up a few secret hacks along the way, and we want to share our crazy ideas with you. Let's call it an anything but ordinary guide to marketing and design. From Chardonnay to Rosé, we've got your marketing sips and design tips. Now that's worth raising a glass to. So grab your favorite vino and join us. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Wine and Whiteboards. Today we're going to talk about skills that we wish we would have learned way before we started our real life jobs. What skills do you wish you had learned in college? Probably a little less calculus and a lot more life skills, things that you thought you would actually use in your day to day. Well, in today's episode, we're sharing skills that no one told us we'd need for marketing or essentially any business job, I guess. Things like how to manage projects and how to meet deadlines and how to give and receive feedback and a couple other items like that. So, you know, the real world of business and marketing. All right, so let's go ahead and dive in with our sips of the day. I guess that's what we're calling this section now. I don't know if we've announced it before, but this is where we talk about what everyone's drinking in the episode. And I'll go ahead and start. Um, This is Katie, and I'm drinking a Pinot Grigio tonight. It's out of my ordinary realm, I feel like. Um, It's Trentino Bottega Venaya. I don't know. Paige, maybe you know how to say it. It's B-I-N-A-I-A. Nope, you got me on that one. An Italian one? Yeah, it's from Italy, so if you're Italian, please tell us how you pronounce that word. Much appreciated. You guys all know my pronunciation is probably the worst of the group, so. But you're the most, like, wine knowledgeable, I feel like, so. Yeah, I'll be opening my wine folly book after this to look it up. Um, I can go next. I am wearing my rosé shirt, so to go with my rosé. I made some really good risotto for dinner, so it went really well. So I'm pairing it with a nice rosé. That was my cat. (laughs) Um, Anywho, uh, yeah, I don't remember the the label, but my cat clearly is very vocal at the moment, so I'll let someone else tell their wine. Sage, I'm sorry. I'm still laughing at Leo. He sounds like such a baby little kitty. Anyways, I don't have a cat, so there will be no animals in my background. And I'm also drinking a rosé. It's the Santa Margarita Sparkling Rosé. I think they have a Pinot Grigio that I really like. And when I was looking for some other kind of wine, I ended up finding this rosé that they have. And it's really good. I it, call, it says it's an easy drinking wine, and that is so true. I'm already on my second glass, and I don't, I don't think it's going to last through this episode. So, woo! I am drinking a red blend from one of the subscription wine services that I get. Sometimes they're not really great about the actual name on the bottles or like where they're from. They just kind of, you know, either say red blend or whatever type they are. So it's not bad, not bad, not by wine. Is it the same subscription? So no, I then switched over to the Wall Street Journal wine subscription because I got a little coupon thing in the mail. So I figured I would try that one out because also you can't beat 12 bottles of wine. I think it was like 70 bucks or something like that. So not too shabby. Besides the price, is it worth it? Well, I've only had one bottle so far and then like this one. So I I can't tell you just quite yet. 
still do have that first leaf one. I've just like put it a pause for right now so I can see if I like this one better or not. Yeah. I have a coupon I, for Wall Street Journal as well. I was going to say, I was doing that with um, food subscription boxes, you know, like HelloFresh, like Dinnerly, all of those, where I would get one, use the coupons, pause it or cancel it, and then do another one so that you were like rotating, getting free food for a while. I hadn't thought about doing it for wine, and now I'm feeling like I'm behind the curve here. But Paige, back to Leo. I was going to tell you that I feel like we need either Leo to start being incorporated more in our social media efforts, or we need to have you, like, do really bad, funny Photoshop, like, fails of, like, cats with wine or something. Like, Leo, like, chugging a bottle or doing something very funny. I feel like it could be a new a new adventure for us. I mean, he is the poster child of, um, I think, the group, because he's definitely... I don't know, all up in our business. I just kicked him off of my my office chair right before we started recording because he was very comfortable. We all have a lot of pets, though, I think. So, like, if you guys love animals, all of us have an animal or two in our house. Side note, the guy called. We weren't supposed to get a fence until, like, Christmas time. Like, and he called, and they're supposed to come sometime this week to put it, start working on our fence so we can get the puppy over here. Yay. So I'm very excited for this. I'd be so happy. It's like a little Christmas gift for you. Hey, a puppy for Christmas. Well, so now that you guys know our wine and our pet situation, um, let's dive into the skills that we wish we would have learned before entering the real world. Uh, So the first one I think that we all have been victim to is reading an email. And I think one of our first episodes, we had talked about this with our personalities and how like some of us read emails a little further into it than others. And it's so easy to go negative with emails, I feel like, and kind of read between the lines. Like, I don't know about you guys, but like emails are tricky. I read every email in a sassy tone, unless there's a smiley face in it. I know. And I always ask people like, did you read it this way? Like, am I just that person? Or like, was this person sassy as F? (laughs) I think it's because we're... I don't know. I was reading about this, how your brain has this like negativity bias and how you always jump to like the worst case conclusions. So when you read something, you tend to read it with like a negative, sassy tone, unless someone's making it very clear that they meant it in a very nice light and they were praising you. Um, Sometimes it's really hard to figure out what they want, though. Like you have to learn to read between the lines and people... I wish people could be a little more straightforward and clear and just say, yes, no, I like this. I want this. Please do this. Obviously not in a bossy or demanding way. You have to be tactful in the way you ask for things. But I think the best way to get all the information you need in an email is to bullet items out. I've always found, so I know we're talking about how to read an email, but in the case that you are the one writing an effective email, I think it's easy to skip over things if it's buried in paragraphs. Bullets, I feel like, usually get me the results that I need. And it also makes it very clear, if I'm the one reading the email, what someone needs from me. I am the person who doesn't read because it has been proven that people like short, concise things. And bulleting out items has helped me so much because I can get bombarded with emails, what requests for designs, whatever it is. And I move really fast. I'm not afraid to say it. And sometimes I miss things. So unless it's bulleted out and explained to me, like, I want this, this, and this, I sometimes kind of miss things. And then it just ends up being more communication between both of you. It just gets confusing. 
Um, so I always recommend having like bullets for one and then headers and subheaders um, because that helps to break it out. So if you have certain sections, that always helps me. I also highlight things and like bold things and like kind of obnoxious, but like it's like, this is what I need you to read. And this is pretty much if you're only going to read one thing, read this sentence. I was going to say, it's also good to keep it short if possible, knowing that people tend not to read. If you can keep it as short as possible to mostly the minimum details, if you need a whole bunch of information, then maybe you should think twice of whether an email is the appropriate mode of communication or whether you need to set up a meeting. I do appreciate now, have you guys seen where people put like um, TLDN or something like that? It's like too long, didn't read um, at the top. It's like an That's acronym. So I think someone from our work did it the other day because they sent a really long email and I definitely didn't read it, but they had it at the top, which was basically like a one sentence like line that told yeah. you what the end result was. And I mean, on one hand, I feel like you shouldn't need that because your email shouldn't be that long. On the other hand, I'm like, well, if you need to provide a summary at the top, then go ahead and do it. I will say I'm more likely also to read an email that has maybe some memes or some gifts in there so I can, you know, maybe be entertained. But you also have to know your audience, right? I can't just be sending that to some of our clients unless I actually have built a relationship with them. And that's where we are at in this relationship where we're OK with them sending those back and forth. But if it's a brand new client, I don't think it's great to include smiley faces or memes right away. Maybe just wait a little bit before you start tossing those in. I think we started to learn how to write an effective email when we had our old boss because he once explained to us, he was like, I get a thousand emails a day. So unless you guys are like concise and I know exactly what you want from me, it just gets flagged and it sits in my inbox. And I was like, oh, okay, you're not responding to me because you didn't want to respond. You have a lot of other things and you don't know what you need from me. So I think we all kind of understood that and we got a little bit better with our requests. Um, but another thing with email for at least my freelance is do not send five emails in a row of just one offs. That is the biggest headache for people. I don't know if you guys from the team have this issue, but I get like, oh, change this. And then like two minutes later, it's like also this and then a few minutes later, it's like, disregard my previous email. I'm like, well, which one? Like, you know, it just gets to be like confusing. Is it all in the same thread? Because one of my pet peeves is when there's already a thread going about like an item and then someone doesn't reply back in that thread. So the thoughts are everywhere. Because mm -hmm. I do that thing in my inbox where like I consolidate the conversations instead of having all of the individual emails to keep me organized. So if there's already a thread about something and a new thing about something that I miss, that's very confusing. Yeah, sometimes it's on the same thread. Sometimes it's different methods. Like sometimes it's email, sometimes it's Slack, sometimes it's text. So like that's mm -hmm. where it gets even worse. But I think if you guys follow our tips, you'll be a lot better at reading an email and sending one out. Also, just to be clear, the acronym that I was trying to refer to earlier was TLDR, like too long, didn't read. I'm pretty sure I messed it up and said it wrong because I hadn't really thought through the words. It's the second glass of wine talking, so I'm just going to go with that. But one more thing is that if you don't have a call, if you have a call to action, make sure you don't bury it at the end. Um, it's best to either highlight it or bold it 
if you need to, this is something we do with actual email communications. Sometimes we put it throughout multiple times, like at the top and then again at the bottom, just to reiterate in case someone skimmed and didn't read your actual message. Um, quick so, question. If you get an email that says too long, didn't read, is it up to the person who sent it to reformat? Or was it just like, I don't know, I find that kind of snotty in the same way, but I'm like, I get it. Oh, it's like they put it at the top of their message. Like they were the one that sent the message and it was a really long message. So they put too long, didn't read. And then that's like the summary they put at the top is a line or a summary about uh, what is in the message. I think it came from like Reddit or Twitter or wherever acronyms come from. This is probably, I don't know. I should go Google before I tell you guys. I don't know where it came from. I was just but thinking like, like it's not like someone responded you. back with that. Is that yeah. what you thought? Someone just yeah. responded back with too long, didn't read. Because yeah. I was like, I secretly <laughs> want to do that next time, but also they'd be like, what a bitch. I could see somebody <laughs> in our company actually sending that. So I thought it was somebody like at our company that did it. Well, what? somebody in your company did do it for the Olympic email, but they were the person sending, and it was about all the points and how they changed it, and the, like, sentence at the top that said too long didn't read is that they changed up how the points were scored oh. or, or something. Well, maybe we should have called this section email etiquette rather than how to read an email, but I feel like we gave you guys a lot of good tips, so hopefully you appreciate it. And I also feel like if you don't know how to maybe write an email or read one, you might also be someone who doesn't necessarily know how to run a meeting effectively or efficiently. So maybe have you ever received an invite to a meeting where there's no information in it and not even just like, oh, where it's at or the time. What is actually going to be discussed in said meeting that you are being invited to? Those are my kind of pet peeves though. Like sometimes I almost respond and say like tentative and then I ask what's going on in the meeting because I don't know if I have time. Like, is it worth my time? Is it something that needs to be happening this week? Like an agenda is actually really, really helpful to add into your meeting. And you'd be surprised how many people don't actually use that. And just like with an email, we were saying bullet point out things that need to be discussed in this email or what needs to be highlighted. Do the same for a meeting. Say exactly what we're trying to accomplish, what needs to be discussed, and what are we looking at as the potential outcome for having this meeting. Right. Like. If you don't know all the things that need to be discussed, like at least write the end goal. Like the goal of this meeting is to accomplish X and that's at least helpful than, more helpful than nothing. Or even have like a appropriate title. Cause sometimes it's like, they, I really just get a let's chat. And I'm like, well, that's not helpful. Like I have no idea if I'm going in and like, like what is this, you know? It's right, just... I love chatting. Yeah, I'm like, should I just go with a glass of wine and chat or should I be worried about my job and chat? <laughs> you never know. And especially if you invite too many people, then it's like this broad group and you're not going to get where you need to get to in this meeting if you're inviting just everybody just to invite them as like, oh, they could have a good input. No, you need to be selective and then that will actually help you with your agenda and focus on what needs to be accomplished. Having too many people invited to a meeting, I feel like usually results in a lack of ownership of the tasks. Like I feel in my experience, people just kind of look around the room, like waiting for someone to own 
tasks it's better just to have if like two teams need to meet it's better just to have a couple representatives and then you each walk away with a couple action items and delegate to your team after the meeting it it just gets too cluttered and too confusing with so many opinions and I mean not even just opinions but with just so many people in there I don't know I don't find them to be as successful as like one-on-one or like three or four people meetings yeah I can see that too where people there's so many people in the room that if somebody's getting something's getting assigned or who wants to volunteer to do something if there's so many other people in there you might be like no 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 they can do it I got other stuff on my you know that I need to worry about and focus on and then you're going to have lack of ownership of who's doing what and and it's not even the always the ownership piece sometimes I think if there's too many opinions, then like the conversation's not focused enough, so nothing really gets done. Like, have you guys ever been to the meeting where it happens, and then you're like, "What were we even supposed to be talking about? And did we even accomplish our goals? And I don't even know what the takeaways are were or are." So basically, you just wasted at least like 30 minutes to an hour of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Great, Sarah. That was one of the bullets that we had to talk about. Have you ever left a meeting more confused than when you went in? Everyone raised their hand because we all have. Like, honestly, it has been so frustrating when you're invited to a meeting, you go there and you're like, this was a complete waste of my time. Like, you just almost don't want to accept next meetings from them because you kind of expect it to happen again. I don't know. I also feel like we've ended a lot of meetings in the past that it's unclear what the takeaways are or next steps or if you have to have another follow-up meeting. Like, make sure that you figure out those types of things before you end the meeting. Almost leave like five minutes at the end before just to kind of go through those things because I know a lot of us forget that sometimes and it's really it's a struggle bus. I will say the the one plus about us going virtual at the beginning of the year is that it made people not plan as many meetings so it made us get more exact about how many meetings we needed to have or when we needed to have a meeting so that was at least a, a nice plus. I think that's went away now that people are more comfortable with just having meetings over virtual but Hopefully we can get back on track with keeping them concise and whatnot. I don't know if it's like the virtual etiquette, but it seems like meetings are shorter. Either Honestly, actually, I was going to say they're either shorter or they're much longer because we're either just chatting because we miss each other or we're like, this is what I need. Okay, is this is this make sense. Okay, I'm going to go. <laughs> like I've had some 10 minute meetings and it's like, oh, that's all it was like sweet. You know, makes my day. I don't know about you guys, but like I'm usually the note taker in meetings and that helps a lot because half the time you forget what you talked about or in a lot of the cases, some of you guys have probably five to 10 meetings a day sometimes. So it's like, what was this meeting about? And then at the end of the day, you just completely forgot your entire time. Like you have no idea what your takeaways were, nothing. So a note taker is really important too. That happens much more often than I'd like to admit. Like if I have meetings back to back and I didn't write down my action items or maybe I did write them down but I wasn't clear enough and then I'm revisiting them like the following day or something like that and I might not even know what <laughs> I might not even know what I need to do because I wasn't clear enough for myself. I think it's always helpful when the note taker sends the notes out immediately after the meeting. Paige, you're like really good at doing this. I feel like I've hardly walked away or gone to another meeting and they're already in my inbox, especially for like our off off sites. And if you can put in the meeting what the action items are or the follow-up things, like that's just super helpful to make sure that I don't forget them because I definitely 
do? I send it immediately because I know I'll forget. I mean, to be honest, like guys, I forget what I eat for breakfast half the time. So like if I don't have these takeaways and action items, like there's no way it's going to get done. I think those are some pretty good takeaways for meetings. So if you never thought about it before and you have these types of issues like we were talking about, definitely go through those tips because they will definitely, and I keep saying definitely, they will make a much more effective meeting, we promise. Another thing we wanted to chat with uh, is how to manage projects. I know that Sarah is <laughs> victim to this, but I say do not rely on your email inbox to organize projects. It's why Paige is way more organized than I am, because I do all the things that we're not supposed to do. And I've tried. <laughs> I will work harder on them. It's a 2021 goal. Let's just say 2021 at this point, um, because I, a lot of times I have a full inbox especially after an email goes out like to some of our prospects, my inbox will blow up with like at least 100, 200 new emails. I've tried to fix this by putting things automatically into folders, but it doesn't catch everything from like the out of office messages and all of that. So it can be really hard to organize your inbox and find the actual emails you need when you have hundreds of emails that are flooding in. And I've tried to flag a million emails, but once you have a million emails flagged, nothing, it doesn't mean anything anymore, right? So you have no idea what your priority is. I'll let Paige talk about it, but we love using a project management tool like Asana. And I figured out how to send my emails, like the flagged emails to Asana, but then I need to go through and organize my Asana with those emails. And I have yet to complete that step. Sarah, how many times it, has it happened where you've had like 20 emails open and then your inbox crashed? <laughs> you have no idea where like you left off and you're just like, well, shit. Uh, it happens all the time, especially because I think Outlook got some kind of new plugin or issue where my Outlook just keeps crashing. So I my way of organizing was I would have every single email I need to resp respond to open and then your e inbox would automatically or randomly crash and then you'd lose all the emails you needed to respond to. So clearly not a good system of management or tool and it's not really a good way to save any of the project details nor is it a good way to put like deadline reminders. I know there is some stuff you can do in Outlook but it just doesn't seem as robust and you can't work with a team like you can in Asana. Yeah, we are biased with Asana. So um, sorry if we say that all the time, but there are things like Asana, Monday, Glass, Frog. I've never heard of that one. Um, Trello is a big one. Um, there's many, many more, but we keep harping on it for a reason. Use project management tools because they do all those things that Sarah just said. You can have a place where you can save your details about the project. You can assign it to different people. There's ways that you can communicate between your team. Um, at deadlines, at reminders, it just goes on and on and on. And it really has helped. And like I said, it, it helps with project visibility to your team. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but we do uh, weekly meetings as a team, a marketing team. And we have an Asana board and we go through what we call level 10. And we have things like IDS where we have concerns or questions that we have to ask. We go into projects and we say our status and people can see exactly where we're at. and click into that bullet and see what we need to help on the status if it's green red yellow like there's so many different things that have helped um when we've transitioned to this because living in your email is just really really hard like i have so many flagged emails that if i don't use a, a tool like this i will be i don't know i'll be lost 
Well, and if you're working with other people on a project, your email doesn't help them see the visibility into the project or where you are at that or if you have any questions or anything like that. So it is nice with Asana or any other type of program that allows you to tag other people or assign different projects to them and have them different due dates and you can add notes and you can add in descriptions of things. So everybody has a clear visibility as to what's going on, whether you're working on a project together or just if I'm working on something, people can still at least see the tasks that I have assigned myself for those things. If they are like, hey, I can help you with this if I see you're struggling or anything like that. If you're not sharing how you're doing on your project or where you're struggling, anything like that, then nobody can help you and then you're just gonna crash and burn by yourself. So you gotta at least like share details out with others so that your project can be a success and you can get everything done that needs to get done. I think we've said this before, but I don't remember where. Like our level 10 comes from a book and it um, they talk about like you can flag how your project is doing with like red, yellow, green. And it's just important to talk about if your project is not succeeding and when you need help, like that's when it's red and when you need help is when you need to talk about it the most and ask for help. And it can seem embarrassing, I feel like at first to admit that your project is not on track, but the more visibility that people have through a tool, the more they're able to step up and ask you about specific line items and things that you might need help with. And I don't know, if you just bury it in your email or in your head, there's no way that anyone's going to be able to step up and help you in any way. Um, which well, another way that helps with this is how to set project deadlines, because once you get that project, setting a deadline and setting that expectation is pretty important. Um, people really do need to know when the project will be approximately done. So there's a few things that we've done in the past that have helped, but I essentially walk through myself of like, do I have time to do this this week, next week, next month? I really have to be honest with myself um, what's realistic because I can get overwhelmed with projects. Everybody does, but there are certain months that are much worse than others because we've said this before, we have conferences that come up every couple months. So those months are really, really busy. So if something doesn't necessarily have to be done that month, I can push it back. That's so much better for everybody involved because I need work-life balance. I need to be able to work on the projects that are important, et cetera. Well, and two, it's not even just like your availability at the current moment. Like if you think a project will take two weeks, don't forget to factor in the client's deliverables. Like if the client needs to provide you with something to complete a project, it's not a two week completion date from the moment conversation with you. It will take you two weeks to complete the project once the client gets you everything. It's not fair if someone emails you two weeks out from their deadline and although you might be able to complete the project within that timeline, if they can't give you everything up front, then that's not that puts you in a bad spot and that's not okay. So make sure you have all the items you need before committing to a deadline. That's a really good point, Katie, because I mean, if they give you a two week deadline, that's a pretty tight deadline, honestly, depending on what marketing collateral it is. But you also kind of have to drop everything to meet that and kind of reprioritize things that you already had on your plate. So if you have an entire month booked out and then you have something added last minute, that puts a wrench in things. So I always leave a little wiggle room in my deadlines so I know what I'm comfortable telling others. I usually give at least like three week, three days to a week extra just in case. 
And I also kind of make sure it's realistic and I let them know like, hey, this is the reason why I have to ha give you this date. This is the X, Y, and Z. I have other projects, I have other whatever. And then they're more receptive to what I'm saying. I mean, no one wants to say, no one wants to hear, no, I can't get this done on time. But if you give them a reason behind it, that's going to be a lot better received. Another important thing to keep in mind is, do you have experience with a similar project? Um, I think I was talking to Charlotte about this and Obviously, it's a, if it's a piece of collateral, you might be able to steal something from a previous piece of collateral or something like that. But if it's an entirely new project or event, you might have to start things from the ground up. And that admittedly takes a lot more time because you are the, what is it, like the bushwhacker? You're like going through and you're just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have a map for this. Like you're making your own trail in the end, right? So Sometimes just know that that's just going to take extra time um, to help figure those things out. I know one of my uh, most recent examples was like the swag box that we mailed out. And well, I know other people have been mailing swag boxes. I've never done it before. This team has never done it before. We understood like the components, but like the whole overall plan and the timing of it was hard to figure out. And now I have people emailing and asking how we did it, which on one hand is really cool. On the other hand, I was like, I didn't have a project plan for this. Like I had to go figure it out. And so obviously I'm not going to tell people that and I will happily provide them with the details, but it was hard. And in hindsight, I know how to do it much better now. It wouldn't be perfect, but I can give other people the steps to make it happen. It might also be nice to say that while we're setting up these deadlines and in an ideal world, we'll always hit them that's not always going to be the case, right? So there's going to be times where something gets pushed, whether that's on your end or the client's end. Um, so you just have to be ready to adjust to that and either off, offer some sort of adjustment to them or, you know, work through it where either maybe the whole project gets, you know, pushed back a couple of days or a couple of weeks or whatever, but just be ready to be able to work, you know, outside of the, the norm of, everything's going to hit this deadline and everything's going to be all sunshines and rainbows to like not just collapse and freak out if you don't hit that deadline that it's not the end of the world too. Yeah, we've had, I mean, there's hard deadlines though that you do have to hit. Unfortunately, these do come up. A lot of them have to do with printing, which is kind of a headache. Um, I mean, the swag boxes, like we had said, those needed to be printed at a certain time. So then we could get the swag that was, and then we had to mail it. Like there's a lot of steps involved in those projects that you do have to kind of factor in because the deadline sounds easy at the same time. It's like, uh, it's one task here, check it off. Then the next task, like it, there's a lot of things that are involved. One thing that I do recommend for our next, our next uh, skill, I guess, <laughs> is how to say no because this is actually really important for deadlines. Um, it's hard to say no. Um, I've gotten better with time, but I'm not going to say I'm amazing at it. You can't do everything and it's really hard to say no to people who are maybe in charge of you or who work alongside you, but it, it definitely opens more doors and gives you more opportunities than it does hurt you negatively. So saying no also means that you open doors to other opportunities. It can prevent you from being overwhelmed with projects and it can help keep you focused um, from getting distracted by shiny objects and other things that are going on. Essentially, you should have some kind of goal you're trying to meet for the quarter. And if this new thing that someone's asking you to do isn't helping feed into that goal or the rest of your team's goals, 
then you need to evaluate where it fits in your priorities and the other deadlines that you have. And at some point you might have to say no, because it's not going to help your team or you reach the goals that you've set at the beginning of the quarter. Obviously, you always want to be a team player, right? You want to help out. And if somebody's going to ask for your help or to do something, you want to say yes, especially if you're new to you know getting into your company or getting into your career of working you don't want to be the person that's like no no i don't want to do that i'm not going to do that right but there's going to be certain times where you just can't take on every single thing that people are giving to you especially if it's not something that you have any experience in doing or you know if it's going to overload you with other projects so it's something that you're going to have to learn to eventually get comfortable with saying i just can't do this you know maybe so and so can help or you know i'd like to help you maybe in a, you know, when this project is done or something along those lines. I always fall victim to this with the work-life balance because I like to say yes, I'm the yes person. And I've learned to say no because it has helped me a lot with my career. I work a full-time job, nine to five. I work freelance and I like to have my personal life too. And we do the podcast. So I'm, I'm a busy person, um, like all of you guys. But if I don't say no, then I just start digging a deeper hole for myself and then I have no free time and my husband's like, I want to go watch a movie with you or watch Shit's Creek. You know, shit like there's just there's a lot of things that you have to make sure to leave open for your life. Uh, I actually had a friend reach out and ask if I had time to do a website rebuild and I was like, oh, I really want to say yes. I know it'd be a really cool project, but I honestly don't have the time. So I had to craft a nice response and say like these are my reasons why I'm really sorry I'm just fully booked right now and you do have to kind of say those things sometimes just to help yourself be sane did you did you write an email that you both pointed out and highlighted and bolded what you were working on that but in text form and maybe a meme after I think I sent still professional but she's still a friend that's good Paige hopefully you and you included some of these tips. I was Googling how to say no because this is definitely something I still struggle with. I feel like I have this like weird sense of guilt when I tell someone no and I need to work on that. But one thing I definitely don't always do is just say it. Say no. Sometimes I think I'll put everything but like the kitchen sink in there and then you'll come to the end of the email and if someone were to read that there is no no. So then I guess you didn't really shut them down, right? Like I've oftentimes beating around the bush and that's probably not the best way to tell someone no this is something I'm still working on too is like being assertive but so courteous like you can say no and as Paige just explained like tell your reasons or just explain yourself a little bit better and then say that you have to set boundaries because you do need that work-life balance and potentially you might have to be firm and you just might have to be selfish like as Paige said she does want to be able to watch Schitt's Creek which I mean, we all love it here, so I don't blame her for having to keep that up. And it is worth noting that these things are a lot easier said than done, because obviously, as we're saying all these things like, oh, yeah, go ahead and say no if you you know, make it better for you. And we've all been that person that's always just said, yes, OK, I'll go ahead and do that and overworked ourselves because of that. So it's something that you're going to have to learn. Again, this is something that we thought or we wish we would have been taught in college of how to actually do this successfully so it's taken us some time and it's going to take you some time as well you just have to get comfortable with it and start you know practicing now and you know being able to do it in a nice um, firm but courteous way a good tip too that Sarah pulled was setting boundaries and we've talked about this in our um, how to balance the nine to five and freelance episode if you set boundaries in the beginning and kind of set the expectation of when you're working, not working, those types of boundary 
um, topics. That'll help you for your reasons of why to say no. I mean, I've had it before where someone will send me a project and I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not working from this time to this time. This is my personal time. And like, if you had that boundary set, then that's expectation. And you know, that's, it's fair. They have to kind of understand that you need that time and it's, it's okay for them to hear no. Another thing you might have to do is kind of either put a question back on them. So you might need to ask them to provide you with a use case or, or come up with what exactly they need it for. If someone can't tell you what they need it for or how it's going to be used, then they need to rethink their deadline or their timeline or if whatever they're asking for is actually a useful item. And it's okay to ask questions. I mean, you don't have to say no up front if you need to ask some clarifying questions to better understand where they're coming from and how it's going to be used. I feel like if someone can't provide you a use case or tell you when they're planning on it, I feel like I'm talking about a piece of collateral mostly, or maybe some kind of document you're putting together for them. If someone can't tell you when they're going to use it, I always find that it feels like I'm putting more effort into building this piece than that person will be putting into trying to leverage it. And that never feels good. Like that's wasted time of yours, essentially. I knew Katie was going to say this because I'm like, I can just, we've had so many instances where people would just, people sometimes send one-offs and they just don't really sometimes think through the entire process and how long it takes the marketing team to build collateral. Sometimes I think people just expect collateral to be like, oh, they can whip it together in 30 minutes, but that's not really an effective strategy. So we definitely like to go back and ask the questions that are important so that we make sure it's an effective tool that they're using. So definitely a good tactic to take. Another one is to be firm because if, I mean, I'm, I used to do this, but in the beginning, I'd be like, yeah, it's okay. I can do this really quick. But then if I'm not firm, people keep doing it and they keep asking me for last minute projects. So it just kind of makes a whole bad cycle. So if you can try and be firm and be consistent, that'll help you in the long run for sure. I was going to say, I know you can't always do this in work because sometimes some things are required of you. But especially if you're doing freelance, if you know in your like heart of hearts that you don't want to do the project or it's causing you a lot of stress and anxiety, just say no. It's not worth it. It's not worth the like the anxious feelings you might have or having to give up certain sacrifices just to fit this thing in for someone else. Like if you feel like you're doing someone else a favor and it's not benefiting you, then like reevaluate your priorities and maybe hit a pause for a second there before you say yes. Yeah. It's okay to be selfish. I think that's the next, the next one of you can say no for selfish reasons. You either don't want to do the project because you're not comfortable doing it. You might not have the experience. You might not have the time, whatever your reason is, it's okay to say no for selfish reasons as well. We're not going to judge you. Whoever's asking for the project doesn't need to know those specific things either. So try and practice saying no, um, even if little things and you'll start to get better. And like Paige said, it's okay to be selfish. And if you have to keep telling someone no, then maybe this is an opportunity to provide them with some feedback, which leads us into our next item, which is how to give and receive feedback. I think we've touched on this one a little bit more, but it's something that we are all still working on and striving for. And I'm not sure that you ever can be the feedback queen. So it's probably something you will continue to work on your whole life. Giving and receiving feedback is easier said than done. It's However, a very important part of your job, no matter what career you have, whether you're in marketing or not, 
and unfortunately it never goes away. So the more you practice it, the better you become at it because it's kind of one of those things where not like you have to build up a thick skin, but the more feedback you receive, the better you are at receiving it. Sarah, what's your um, new favorite quote that you learned? Is it Brene Brown? It is. It's the one, I think it's from Dare to Lead. And she says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. Meaning that if you don't provide someone with the proper feedback or if you don't tell them something you need to tell them to make them better, you're actually being unkind to them because they're not learning and they're not growing and they're not becoming a better person. And it actually, it doesn't make you a better person either. Like then you're harboring this thing that probably turns to negativity and animosity towards that person. When really, if you had just talked it out with them, you probably could have moved on and established a better relationship. We're all kind of used to getting feedback in the forms of grades. I know in high school and college, but giving feedback, or I'm sorry, receiving feedback on a peer-to-peer or boss-to-employee basis is something I think all of us are still getting used to. And many of us have been in our roles for five plus years. So we're not perfect at it. We said practice makes perfect. We really stay true to that. We've said this before. I've had a lot of design critique um, that's helped me a lot in the past because I would get critique by many people in front of the classroom um, in college. And once you hear it on a weekly basis, it starts to become a lot easier to digest. And you start to understand that the feedback is not supposed to be going at you personally. It's not something that's supposed to be negative to you. It's supposed to help you become better as your job, as yourself, whatever it is. So I definitely um, always think back to that if I have one of these feedback um, sessions. What's the saying where it's like, like nobody's nerfect or something, something like that, right? Because it's like nobody's perfect. So Mm -hmm. clearly, like there's going to be things that you got to work on to make yourself better, especially if you're new into your career, there's going to be things that you don't obviously know. And so the whole point of receiving feedback is to make you better at your job and better at what you're doing. And it's not meant to tear you down. It's meant to make you a better person so that you can be a better employee. You can be a better person and get better at your career and that you can continue to grow. And it also might not, you might have different circumstances. Um, Like things might happen in your life that bring about something that changes how you how you interact. So for example, I broke my ankle. It doesn't sound like a big deal, but I lived alone and it was a big deal because I lost my independence and it made me very negative. So when I received feedback about my negativity, which was also related to a huge conference we were putting on, and it was honestly just the stress of it, but I also had to be told that I was bringing everyone else down and that people were afraid to say things and walking on eggshells. And sometimes you just have to have someone give you that feedback to bring an awareness to you that maybe you already know, but unfortunately sometimes it has to be pointed out and then you have to work on it and you have to figure out how to make it better. Obviously there's many different types of feedback, but that's just an example that I've had. And it was a big one and it was hard to hear. And I wish that I had had better tips on how to receive that feedback. And I wish even the person giving it to me had had maybe better tips on how to effectively give it to me because it was definitely a learning experience for both of us. It was really hard. We cried a lot. I took some time off. Like I had a few days where I just pretty much spent in bed. So hopefully anyone listening to this can listen to some of our tips on how to effectively give and receive feedback and do it in a way that 
maybe doesn't make you like not go out into the world for a few days. I think it's about empathy. And like, like we said, we're still learning how to give and receive feedback. And when you understand the empathy part of it and what they might be going through personally or professionally, I think that's a good way to come about it if you're going to be giving someone feedback because it's not always easy to give or hear. It might be something that person knows and understands that's going on, but it's really hard to hear from other people too. And you kind of like, you know, keep it inside and it's like, oh shit, everyone else like might think this about me or whatever it is. It's not always easy. So definitely come at it from an empathetic um, position because it'll help the entire team. But some of those tips of how to receive feedback effectively, like Sarah was saying, is listen to the feedback that's given and maybe step back and don't interrupt. Let them finish what they're trying to say. Um, But also be aware of your responses because body language and tone of voice definitely speaks louder than words. Uh, Sometimes people don't realize what they're saying and doing isn't actually vocal. You also need to be open. So be receptive to new ideas and opinions. There might be more than one way of doing something and understand their message fully. Make sure that you understand what's being said to you. So if you need to ask clarifying questions, if you don't fully understand the incident or I don't know, I like people to be as specific as possible when giving me feedback just so I can understand what someone may not have appreciated so that I can work to correct the behavior or the way I responded. If you're not specific, it's just, it kind of gets lost, at least on me. That's a good topic or a good tip, Sarah. Like, I've never thought of it that way, but how do you like to receive feedback is kind of important. And if you can help that with the person who's trying to give it to you, that'll help, I think, from getting your message maybe confused or I think a lot of times people are almost too nice sometimes with feedback or the complete opposite. And they're like assholes about it. (laughs) We've all had probably that in school. But if you know exactly what you want to hear, like I'm a very, I know, cut and dry person. Like if I, if you guys don't like something, tell me and I want to hear it X, Y, and Z. Some people might need it a little more, a little softer, a little like more examples. There's a lot of different methods. So yeah, ask the person who you're giving their feedback to. No, I think that's a really good one, Paige. Like ask how they want to receive feedback. That makes a ton of sense. It it sounds really basic, but if you don't ask people, you're probably not going to deliver it in a way that makes sense to them. Ultimately, if you're receiving feedback, it's up to you to reflect and decide what to do to it. So do with it. So you need to assess one, who is it coming from? I'm I'm not saying all feedback's not valuable feedback, but you do need to make sure it's coming from a reliable source that's giving you all the information that you need. Obviously, you can choose to ignore it, but typically it's good if you can at least hear it, understand it, and maybe think of some th- ways or things that you can work on um, to start improving it. And then potentially you might need to follow up with that person to maybe you need to receive feedback more often so that it doesn't hit you like a blow. I think that was really what hit me was that potentially it had been going on, my feedback anyways, had been going on for a while, but someone didn't tell me right away. And so then they told me everything all at once and it was very overwhelming. And that was not how I needed to receive it. Like I needed maybe a little smaller doses that I could have gotten along the way. So Again, maybe it was like a wake-up call. I spent a lot of time Googling, and I felt like after that, it's a lot easier once you've gone through that experience to follow up with someone and ask, like, is there any feedback that you have for me? And sometimes if you just build that into your weekly or monthly check-ins that you have with your team leader or boss or supervisor, 
that's an easier way to receive it because then they're able to give you corrective actions or ideas along the way instead of things out of what might feel like out of the blue. Yeah, ways that I think our team has been trying to make feedback loops um, more consistent is at our offsites that we do quarterly. We do feedbacks where it's it's part of like a professional development session. We do it for, I think, like well, almost 30 minutes towards the beginning of it. And it changes based on the topic, but we've done things of like, what's your superpower? What's your kryptonite? What What's like a um, start, stop, continue? There's a lot of different type of lessons that we've done. But the essential thing is that we give feedback to each other individually in a group setting. So that's, I think, something that we've all, we've been really good at as a team because it's helped us grow and it's like built that trust factor and that psychological safety because we do it more often. I think it's also that we focus on making sure that it's constructive, right? We're not just like tearing someone down. It's a nice open space and like we feel, you know, we're trusted in that area, but we concentrate on like the actual behavior or what the issue is and not the, not the person, right? And what they are like or what they're doing. Um, so you want to make sure that you're being specific, you know, be realistic, um, be timely and offer like support as you're going through with this so that they can actually have something to work on and focus on so that they can make it better. Yeah, remember feedback is not supposed to be a bad thing. It's, I think of it as a positive thing because I like to learn things that I can improve on personally, professionally, whatever it is. So giving feedback to others definitely helps you um, because you know that it's coming from a good place and people are trying to help you. Try not to take it personally and I know Sarah always has this great rule of the two to one where you do two positives and one negative because it seems like that's a lot easier to digest when you have that rule. So I don't know, Sarah, if you want, I don't know where you got that from. I don't know. I feel like I've t- heard about the compliment sandwich, which is like you say something nice and then you say something mm, that someone could work on and then a compliment, which I've heard is also not a great way of delivering feedback. So it's probably a conflicted method. I don't know. On one hand, I'm like, do what works for you. On the other hand, ask the person how they want to receive the feedback. In the end, I think it's important to know that nothing, your behavior is not going to change overnight, right? Or whatever it is you need to work on. So hopefully that person can offer continuing sp- support or you can continue to follow up to make sure you're making progression towards becoming the best you that you can be. I'm with you on that one of like this the compliment sandwich. I think the point of that one that I understand is that feedback doesn't have to be negative feedback. It can be positive feedback. So if you're giving two positive feedbacks to one negative, that helps to not only digest the information, but also for them to get used to having feedback in a positive light, because sometimes people always go like negative. It's like, oh, I didn't send this email correct, or I didn't talk to this person in a way that's appropriate, whatever it is, whatever's negative that comes to your mind. That's usually what people think of for feedback. But I love to give positive feedback, whoever it is, an internship, um, someone who's just like shadowing our team, our team members themselves. I always try and make sure to say that, um, whatever it is. Like we just finished our virtual conference. So we gave huge shout outs to Charlotte and Sarah because this was a year long hell for some of it. I mean, it was a lot of work. So if you don't hear that positive feedback, sometimes it's like, oh, people don't appreciate what I do. It's just, it's a good thing to continue to make um, top of mind and like help others feel appreciated. That's such a good point, Paige. Like 
feedback reinforces things. So it can either reinforce good behavior and things that you want people to keep doing, which is what you should reinforce, or in theory, it could help establish like bad habits or behavior. So, I mean, you don't want people to dread receiving feedback. So you want to make sure to call out when they're doing something really well or something that you appreciate. I mean, you don't have to go over the top, but I've always heard and felt that people will do more for you if they feel appreciated and if they feel like you understand where they're coming from and what they're trying to do and accomplish. So appreciate people more. That's a good one, Paige. Yeah, I definitely do more things for people at work that I feel appreciated and people appreciate my work. I keep saying appreciate. But honestly, if some people, they understand what goes into it, they put the time in to ask the right questions, they are respectful of my time, those things go a long way. So I'm willing to reprioritize my projects to get them on the list. So we've talked a lot about some skills that we really wish we would have learned in college as we got into our careers. And I think the overall theme is a lot of these things that we've talked about are really easier said than done. And so it's going to take some time to really learn all of these skills that we kind of talked about today and really apply them into your career or wherever you are, you know, in your work life. And I think one big one is going to not take feedback personally, right? Like there's going to be it's there to actually help you grow into your career. Don't take it personally. Just take what they're saying and learn from it and move on. Remember to follow that two to one rule of giving feedback, uh, two positives to one negative, just so it becomes a habit and people know that not all feedback is negative. It's okay to say no. It helps your team stay more effective. It makes you more effective and it helps improve your work-life balance. Prior to setting up at a meeting, I would say go ahead and actually include an agenda or even create an agenda before you send the meeting. So it's actually in that meeting invite so people know what to expect when they show up. And before a meeting ends, make sure to add all the tasks that are assigned, send the notes to all attendees, all of those next steps, just so it's top of mind and people don't forget what was actually talked about in the meeting. And don't do what Sarah does, which means use a project management tool to help organize your projects and your deadlines. Don't work out of your email. It doesn't work very well. And lastly, don't take emails so seriously if there's not maybe some exclamation points or smiley faces as we might always do since we kind of like to include those. Doesn't have to be that serious. But also, if you are coordinating an email, try to at least put a call to action at the top and at the bottom and maybe bullet out the points that you want people to be focusing on in, in your email. Love that. Um, and with that, I think that's it, guys. We're ready to sign off and say cheers. Cheers. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Wine and Whiteboards podcast. For show notes, links, templates, and other resources, visit our Instagram page at Wine and Whitebirds Podcast. And while you're there, follow us to get more hacks and occasional wine-themed humor. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you would take a minute to leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe so you can continue listening to our marketing tips and design tips. Cheers! Cheers.